You call it the washroom here in Canada, apparently? I've learned. The venue people kept talking about the washroom, and I was like, I don't need to take a shower. <laughs> but... Toronto, Ontario, Canada, what is good? That is a lot of people. This is fun. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming out to the show. I very, very much appreciate it. Give yourselves a round of applause for making it out. This wouldn't have been possible without you. This is my first time in Toronto at all. It is a very nice city. Your buildings are big. <laughs> and I'm all like, oh, I'm the Manhattanite. We're the big building place. And I'm walking around, I'm like, ooh, okay, Toronto. I see it, I see it. Now, I am very excited to get into what we have for the show tonight. We have two very fun acts. Got some fun PJO stuff to cover here. In that first act, we're gonna be covering a very interesting and intense chapter-ish. We're getting to the real thick of it in book five, so let's get right to it. But before we can get to it, we gotta bring on our guest. It's someone that I love, it's someone that you love, it's someone that people are more excited to see than me, usually. And honestly, I can't blame them. Welcome to the stage, Kelly Schubert! Hello, everybody. How's it going? Good. I heard you tell a lie from backstage. What, which lie? We have been to Toronto before. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, we really experienced super, Toronto. Super, super briefly during a layover, we got stuck here and we landed at about 11 p.m. and had Tim Hortons because it was the only thing that was open, mm -hmm. walked across the parking lot to a hotel and then left the next morning. And we were supposed to be going to Quebec City, yeah. right? And we had a layover and it was this thing where it was like last flight, it got to delayed mm -hmm. and then we missed the connection so we had to stay in Toronto but it wasn't a weather thing and it wasn't like a plain mechanical failure thing it was some sort of like FAA like regulation of oh planes can't fly and that's why we missed the delay and we have travel insurance with our credit card and you know you can submit the whole thing and we're like oh they're gonna cover it we'll book the hotel this Tim Hortons will be free get whatever you want dear uh, <laughs> and I go to like fill out the forms and stuff and when I sent it in I got like a thing back from our credit card company Chase I'll put them on blast it um, <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, you need proof that it wasn't like a mechanical thing or a weather thing. And then I sent this thing over from whatever airline we were flying mm -hmm. that said it. And then they were like, no, 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 we need more proof. And I was like, from the FAA? Like, do I have to call them up and be like, hi, guys, uh, it's me. You know, one of the guys that was on one of the a million flights from a couple weeks ago. It was a mess. We never got it reimbursed. So I guess it was just a fun little uh, couple yeah. hour Toronto vacation. <laughs> A fun little day, and it was interesting too because since we thought it was going to be free, it felt very fun in the moment. And then <laughs> after the fact, we were like, you had to pay to stay in that hotel for like eight hours. If maximum. that. Yeah. Um, made it a little less fun, but eh, it was in the past. Uh, <laughs> but let's have some real fun here. We're going to be continuing our coverage of chapter 13 of book five and mm -hmm. then cover some of chapter 14. Now, I was in the green room editing the episode that's going to come out <laughs> later today. <laughs> and I heard you on the episode that's going to come out oh. say, 
because we were doing the one that started off book five. Yes. And you said that you read book five so quickly that you couldn't even process whether or not it was your favorite book yeah. or where it ranked. Your yeah. answer was basically, oh, I don't even know. <laughs> so now that you have read it again in yes. prep for this, without spoilers, how do you feel about book five? Where does it rank? Previously, four was your favorite. Is it still a blur? It's still a blur. <laughs> so last night we're, we're on the phone and I'm like, okay, what chapters do I need to prepare for? And he's like chapter 13 to 14. And I was like, okay, what's happening in those? And he starts to like give a basic summary of where he left off. And I was like, I have no memory of this <laughs> at all. So I started on the plane this morning and it, again, it's a blur. It's a very good blur. And I haven't finished it because I stopped where, where we stopped. Of course, I know what happens, but I think four is still my favorite. Okay. Long story short. I don't remember. Four is still my favorite. All right. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. I'm really enjoying five a lot. Mm -hmm. I will wait until I finish the books for my final judgment. But let's get into where we left off in chapter 13. Now, where we left off, we had the truce-ish meeting where we've got Prometheus and Ethan Nakamura and the big giant and the Empusa come in and trying to talk Percy into surrendering. And then Prometheus gave Percy a big old forehead boop mm -hmm. to show him the rest of the vision that got cut short from before when Hestia was putting the stuff in his brain about Luke's backstory. So the boop happens and Percy is back at May Castellan's. Now they are inside her living room and he can see into the kitchen where Thalia is getting her wounds tended to by May. That was the whole reason they were visiting the house is that mm -hmm. Thalia was hurt. Annabeth is playing with a Medusa beanie baby because she's seven and that's <laughs> the right thing to do. Hermes and Luke are in the living room. Hermes has a shifting face and he's wearing a navy tracksuit and winged Reeboks. Luke asks why Hermes would show himself now and not all the other times that he's called for him. And then Luke says, you left me with her in italics, which I get that it's tricky, but that's still your mom. Come on, Luke. Yeah, he then goes on to explain a little bit of what it was like living with her. Yeah. And he mm -hmm. explains that she would like shake him and scream about this horrible fate that he would have. And yeah, that's pretty terrifying for anybody, whether or not it's his mom, it was still, I think, a really difficult place to grow up. Certainly. Hermes warns Luke not to dishonor her though, saying that she did the best she could. And then Hermes explains that he couldn't interfere with Luke's path because the children of gods must find their own way. And to me, it feels like a little bit of BS. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like Hermes could have explained this to him earlier. You know, some sort of thing of, hello, it's me, your dad. I can't interfere, but it's going to be tough out there, punk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> something. Right. I mean, like, Poseidon doesn't interfere with Percy's life, but he still shows up in it every now and then. Right. With encouraging cryptic words and things like that. Yeah. One word or two word uh, post mail messages. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like, be ready or yeah. get ready. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Well, at least it's something. Yeah. Luke asks if Hermes really thinks that growing up on the streets, fighting off monsters, and fending for himself was in his best interest. Hermes replies that that's how he knew Luke would be fine because he is his son, and he starts to go on about he was able to accomplish as a baby, and Luke yells that he's not a god, and then brings up my point, why couldn't you have just said something to me earlier at any point before now? Mm -hmm. Why only show up at this instance? Mm -hmm. And Luke begins to yell, but then lowers his voice to say that when May was having one of her fits, shaking him and saying things about his fate, 
he could have said something then. He could have come right. in after one of these very scary moments. So yeah, you get a little bit of insight into how things could be tough. And I think Luke makes a good point. Hermes could have said something, could have said anything, and it wouldn't have counted as interfering. Yeah, it really does humanize this villain, which is interesting. Yeah, but don't worry. After the humanization, <laughs> Thalia comes in later as like, he sucks, and I love that part. <laughs> so... Luke goes on saying, you also could have talked to me when I would hide in my closet to avoid her scary green glowing eyes. And he asks Hermes if he cared that Luke was scared and if he even noticed that Luke ran away, which, you know, tough stuff. Hermes definitely could have handled all of this better. May is chatting it up with Thalia and Annabeth in the kitchen, sharing Luke baby stories, classic mom move. <laughs> Barb loves doing that. <laughs> But it's not necessarily baby stories for me. It's like toddler stories because I was like, eh, I was a little bit of a jerk <laughs> as a toddler. I grew out of it real quickly, though, so I'll take it. <laughs> so she's chatting it up with them. Annabeth then looks to Luke, holds up a burnt cookie, and mouths, can we go now? Is this really seven-year-old behavior to be like, oh, this party's kind of a bummer? <laughs> felt very strange of a seven-year-old. I think that Luke was afraid of his mom as a seven-year-old it makes kind of sense. Mm. She, she recognizes that something's not right. It doesn't feel like a home to her either. Okay. And there's burnt cookies. So obviously she yeah, maybe the that's real it. thing. Uh, yeah. Let's get some real ones. <laughs> yeah. Hermes tells Luke that he does care, but he cannot go against the ancient laws and interfere with the lives of mortals. And he begins to say, especially when your destiny, but then trails off. Luke presses him on it, wanting him to finish the sentence, but Hermes merely tells him that he should not have come back because it only upsets both Luke and May. And Hermes now does understand that Luke is getting too old to be on the run without help. So he will speak with Chiron about him attending Camp Half-Blood. And he says that he will have Chiron send a satyr to bring him in. So the Grover introduction, mm -hmm. which is nice. We're getting more of that backstory. Luke says that they're doing fine without his help and again asks what he meant about his destiny. Hermes studies Luke's face and Percy can tell that Hermes knows exactly what May's mutterings mean and he has a sense of the fate. Yeah, I'm, again, I don't remember the ending of how all of this goes. I'm really intrigued by the fact he knew all of this was going to happen. He knew that Cronus was gonna take over Luke's body did he tell the other gods? They all know that this was coming. It feels like they could have interfered at some point if they knew it was coming. Or did he keep it to himself in like an attempt to actually protect his son? I don't know. I wonder if there is an example of gods interfering and things went incredibly badly. And that's why they are so hesitant to break this law. But yeah, it seems like they're skewing way too hard on the don't interfere. Right. I think they'd interfere in this case because it would save them in the end. They don't mm. interfere in the cases where it's for the good of the humans or the demigods. But in this case, if they could have stopped Kronos, I think they would have. If anyone's going to be selfish, it would be the gods. So I don't understand exactly. why they didn't interfere at any point. I, that makes me think that he didn't tell the others. Like he was embarrassed that it was his kid that's going to be... No, he wanted to... Like, I, my theory is he wanted to save Luke. He actually does love him and he wanted to save him from if the gods knew that eventually he'd be taken over by... Kronos, uh, the gods would just eliminate Luke right away. But then why didn't Hermes do anything? Why is he like, I won't tell anyone, but I also won't do anything. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> this, is, this is the point that I have. And I'm going to keep reading as soon as the show is over to find out if it's answered. <laughs> 
Hermes finally says to Luke that he is the god of travelers and the god of loads. He knows that Luke must walk his own path, even if it tears up his heart, like he is Justin Timberlake in that NSYNC song that slaps super hard. <laughs> and then Luke says, you don't love me. Hermes promises that he does, tells him to go to camp, and promises to get him a quest as soon as possible. He starts spitballing some things that could be quests, like one of Hercules' labors. We know that's a bad call because Luke does not like that his quest is basically a repeat of something somebody already did. Mm -hmm. And Hermes says that Luke can be a great hero before, and then Luke <laughs> asks, before what? And then asks what May saw that made her like this, and asks what will happen to him. He says to Hermes that if he loves him, he will tell him. Hermes says he cannot, and Luke screams that this proves that he doesn't care, and he yells loud enough that the conversation in the kitchen stops, and May asks Luke if everything's all right. Luke turns to hide his face, but Percy can see that he's tearing up. Luke says that he's fine, and that he has a new family, and he doesn't need either of them, which feels rude to May. She's just doing her best. She's yeah. been dealt a tough hand. I don't know that she's done anything wrong. Yeah, she's scaring Luke, but you would think that Luke would recognize it's not her fault, so I don't know why he's angry at her. I feel like he should direct it towards Hermes. Hmm. I think when he's that young, he's not going to make the distinction that she's doing the best that she can do. Okay. Yeah. That's just my thought on it. Okay. No, I can see He's it. just angry. He's just an angry kid. Yeah. A little angsty. Yeah. Just a little bit. A little bit. Hermes pushes back, telling Luke that he is his father. Luke says a father, in italics, is supposed to be around, and he's never even met him. Calls for Thalia and Annabeth to join him as they leave. May begs for him to stay, saying that she has his lunch ready. Luke stomps out. Thalia and Annabeth chase <laughs> after him. May tries to follow them out, but Hermes stops her, and as the door shuts, she falls into Hermes' arms, begins to shake, and then her eyes become the glowing green, and she hisses, my son, danger, terrible fate. And then Hermes, in a more somber tone, says, I know, my love, believe me, I know. The image fades, and Prometheus ends his extended boop with Percy. <laughs> I'm not surprised that I was confused about the, the plot when you were like, oh yeah, it's the part where he gets booped. Yeah. And in my memory, I go, of course, I don't remember this. It said Prometheus extends his index finger and touches his forehead. That's a boop. It's a boop. <laughs> it's a boop. I have kind of taught my cats the only trick that I have taught my cats, because I know you can train them to do different things. I have taught them what it is to boop. So I stick out my finger and I say boop, and they bring their nose to my finger. It's actually incredibly adorable. It's super adorable. It I know that it is. <laughs> Thalia asks Percy what that was. Percy, as the narrator, lets us know that he's sweating, tries to wipe it off. Prometheus tries to appeal to Percy, saying, it's so awful that the gods know what is to come, and yet they still do nothing, not even helping out their own children. And he asks Percy how long it took them to share the prophecy with him, and then goes, don't you think your father knows what will happen to you? And I feel like at this point, Prometheus is hard shifted from making some good points, as he did earlier in the conversation, mm -hmm. to now he's just really being manipulative and really trying to get a particular response out of Percy. And it feels more gross. Like, yeah, early on we know what he's doing a little bit, but if he's like getting into a little like, all right, back off there, territory. He's laying it on thick, but I find it interesting because his argument does make sense. Mm -hmm. And Percy begins to wonder if he's being played or if he actually believes the argument. I think that makes the best villains is when you can see their point, they're just going about it in an incredibly destructive way, like Thanos. I think Thanos is an incredibly 
interesting villain. He could have just doubled all the crops, though. Yes, but... <laughs> exactly. So he has an interesting point, right? We're running out of resources. Yeah. His Make solution more. is wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, the most wrong. But when the motivation <laughs> yeah, is yeah, yeah. right, it makes for a more interesting villain. And I can mm-hmm. see the motivation here as an interesting one. I definitely liked him in yeah. this. It was good, compelling stuff. I just think it eventually got to the gross part where I was like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Percy freezes. Grover tells him that the Titan is just messing with him to try and anger him. And narrator Percy says, Grover could read emotions. So he probably knew Prometheus was succeeding, which is a fun <laughs> way of saying, yeah, I'm pretty upset. But this is also clutch from Grover to come in and try and calm his bud Percy down at this point. Prometheus asks if Percy really blames Luke given the circumstances, and then asks Percy if he will allow himself to be controlled by his fate. He says that he can change that by accepting Kronos's much better deal. Percy hates what Prometheus has shown him, but he hates Kronos even more. We love petty grudge-holding Percy Jackson. <laughs> he offers a deal to Prometheus to send to Kronos. Tell Kronos to call off the attack, leave Luke's body, and return to the pits of Tartarus. Then maybe Percy won't have to destroy him. And I wrote, ah, a taunt, not an offer. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) The Ampusa snarls, Prometheus sighs, and tells Percy that if he changes his mind, he has a gift for him. And then a Greek vase appears on the table. It is three feet tall and five feet wide. It is clad with black and white designs. The lid is fastened shut by a leather harness, and Grover whimpers, Thalia gasps and thinks it cannot be, and Prometheus says that it is, and she has properly identified it. And I'm very confused, wondering, what is this? (laughs) Percy has a sense of fear looking at the jar, but he's not sure why. Prometheus says that it belonged to his sister-in-law, Pandora, and I wrote my notes, wait, isn't it supposed to be a box? (laughs) (laughs) That will be discussed. (laughs) Percy asks if he's referring to Pandora's box, and then... Prometheus shakes his head and says, I don't know how this box business got started. It was never a box. It was a pithos, a storage jar. I suppose Pandora's pithos doesn't have the same ring to it, but never mind that. Yes, she did open this jar, which contained most of the demons that now haunt mankind, fear, death, hunger, sickness. So, good to know. Excited to learn more if I talk to Dr. Moy about this in a future episode. I was going to say, I need to know more. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, oh, I know the phrase, don't open Pandora's box, but I don't know the story at all, aside from what they've just said here. Well, if you listen to the opening song on J-Hope's album, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it actually explains the myth of Pandora's box in about, like, you know, a minute. So just go do that backstage. Okay, I'll do that. And then that, that will be explained. I'd like to know, was it a jar or was it a box? And who mistranslated it and when? A jar feels more likely. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily an antiquities expert, but when I've been through museums and stuff, rarely do I see like ancient Greek box. (laughs) I feel like jars and vases make way more sense. (laughs) That's a good point. The Impusa tells him not to forget her. And then Prometheus adds that yes, the first Impusa was also stuck in the jar and released by Pandora. He says that he finds it funny that Pandora gets the blame. It seems strange to punish her just for being curious. He says this shows that the gods want the lesson to be that mankind should not explore or ask questions. They should do as they're told. Prometheus tells Percy that this jar was a trap designed by Zeus and the Olympians as revenge on Prometheus and his entire family, such as Epimetheus, his brother, and then his brother's wife, Pandora. Another person that I'm going to have to ask Dr. Mori about, what's mm-hmm. up with Epimetheus? And oh, why do their parents name all of their children something <laughs> Ethius? <laughs> Prometheus says the gods knew Pandora would open the jar and were willing to curse both 
their family, and the entire human race along the way. Percy thinks back to his dream, where he saw Zeus take down an entire hotel building just to destroy two children to cover his own butt. Percy bets that Zeus lost no sleep over the death mm -hmm. of Maria D'Angelo. And he also thinks that Hades is no better, as he cursed the Oracle, a young girl, to a terrible fate simply because he couldn't take revenge on the person that he wanted to take revenge on. Right. This is where I find his argument the most compelling, when he brings it back to Pandora's box. The gods don't want you to be curious, they don't want you to ask questions, and they'll punish everybody if you do. And that, I think, is a really compelling argument. Not the right solution, but this is where I think his argument becomes really interesting. Yeah, it makes me want for Percy and their team to win and save the day, but then also have a stern talking to to the gods. <laughs> like, hey, we saved your butt. Now let's fix things because <laughs> there is a lot that's wrong in the world right now. Percy also thinks back to Hermes abandoning Luke without any sort of warning or trying to raise him to prevent his heel turn. But then Percy wonders if Prometheus is toying with his mind. But then Percy wonders, what if he's right? Thinking, <laughs> what makes the gods any better than the Titans? Prometheus taps the jar and states that only one spirit remains inside the jar. Percy knows that it is hope. Prometheus is proud of him for getting it right. He states that the spirit of hope, Elpis, would not abandon humanity and does not leave without being given permission. She can only be released by a child of man. Again, want to know about this in a myth episode. Prometheus slides them the jar and says it's a reminder of what the gods are like. He says they can keep Elpis if they desire, but if they decide that there's been too much destruction and suffering, Percy can open the jar and let Elpis go. Prometheus will know that this is a surrender, and he promises that Cronus will be lenient and spare the survivors, which I highly doubt. <laughs> Do not trust this at all. This is where it gets icky for me, because he's basically saying, take this and... I'm gonna kind of give you the exact same problem as Pandora was given. This curiosity, this like need to open the box, open the jar, right? And I'm going to tell you I'm doing a good thing, but basically give up hope. And this is the part where I'm just like, all right, now you're icky and yeah. now you're manipulative. Totally, yeah. yeah. Percy stares at the jar and thinks that Pandora, quote, had been completely ADHD like me, which, in the ADHD episodes, I know that's not the way you're supposed to word it, but the point that he's making is mm -hmm. that he could never leave things alone and he doesn't like temptation. And he wonders, is this my choice? Is the prophecy coming down to leaving the jar B or opening it? Which is interesting because I still don't really know exactly what the choice is, but mm -hmm. that's possible. It's a good thought by Percy here. Percy says he doesn't want it. Prometheus says, it's too late and the gift cannot be taken back. And really, Prometheus <laughs> is pulling no take backs. He's in a war to save the world. <laughs> no, no, no. Finders keepers. <laughs> he stands up. The Impusa takes his arm. He calls for the giant by name Moraine and says they are leaving. He says that they'll see Percy soon, one way or another. Ethan Nakamura shoots Percy an angry look and the group then walks through Central Park like it's just a normal Sunday stroll. And that's the end of the chapter. You shook your head at the mention of Ethan Nakamura. You're not a fan either? I don't like this guy. No, he really bugs me and yeah. so much. I mm -hmm. really, I, just, I do not like him. No. He's always the one stabbing them in the back, even no. though, yeah. Yeah, well, well, let's get into chapter 14 <laughs> on that note. Chapter 14 is called Pigs Fly. Mm, hard to guess. Hard to guess. <laughs> super short, super vague, could be anything. So I just wrote, hmm, and I just took a big swing here. The wild boar from before comes back and is given the magical ability to fly. Who's to say? I don't know. I haven't read far enough to know if 
that is it or if there's something else, but... Yeah, me neither, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you did at one point in time. I did at some point. Apparently not memorable enough to remember. <laughs> so our team returns to the Plaza Hotel, and when they do, Thalia takes Percy aside and asks him what Prometheus showed him during the big boop. Percy doesn't want to do it, but he shares the story. Thalia rubs her leg in remembrance and says that that was a bad night and Annabeth was too young to really know what was going on. Percy asks Thalia if she knows what happened to May. She says that she never saw her have an episode, but Luke told her about them. He made her promise not to tell anyone, and she has no idea what caused them to start because Luke never told her. Percy believes Hermes knew that Luke would become Kronos. Thalia cautions Percy that Prometheus was manipulating the dream to paint it in the most negative light possible. She says that she knows that Hermes loves Luke just by seeing his facial expressions, adding that Hermes was there to check on May and to care for her. And it's interesting coming from Thalia, who wasn't a fan of the gods in general, for mm -hmm. her to be taking their side, I think, drives this message home extra hard. It's not like she's some Olympus fangirl right. who's just like, oh, I love them. They're great. No, no, no. Don't worry about it. No, she has been very critical of them in the past. So if she's mm -hmm. saying that she thinks that they might be all right and they might be getting a bad light in this particular instance, then I take that to heart. Right, yeah. Except that now she is, I mean, how much has she changed? Now she's on the inside, she serves Artemis. By extension, she serves Zeus. So how much have her opinions been colored too? I mean, it's possible, but also maybe it's now that she's on the inside, she sees that things are better. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is hard to say, it could go yeah. either way. Percy counters that it still wasn't right for Hermes to never help Luke and to never stop him from running away. Thalia tells Percy that he cannot start feeling sorry for Luke because all demigods have struggles to overcome and their parents are hardly ever around. Luke made bad choices and no one forced him to make them. And I wrote in all caps, Thalia, the voice of reason. <laughs> this is exactly what my point has been throughout the whole series. I know that he gets to a point where it's too late and then he realizes, oh, I goofed. But I don't know, maybe don't get in business with someone who's been locked in Tartarus for all of eternity mm -hmm. and is a literal Titan yes. and is one of the most evil beings imaginable. Mm -hmm. Like maybe don't do that. And then you won't get into thinking of like, Oh no, I have to give up my body. That doesn't sound like fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Annabeth and Thalia both were on the run with him and had similar difficulties at home. He's the only one who really turned that into a bad thing. For sure. She confides in Percy that she's worried about Annabeth. Thalia doesn't think Annabeth could take Luke down in a fight if push came to shove because she's always had a soft spot for him. Percy's face gets red because he hates ever recognizing that they like each other. He says she'll be fine. Thalia's not so sure. She cites that after that night from the vision, Luke became reckless and moody like he had to prove himself. Thalia says that Luke is partly to blame for the trouble they were in with Grover on their way to Camp Half-Blood because he made poor choices. He wanted to battle each monster along the way, and Annabeth saw no wrong in that because Luke was her hero, so mm -hmm. he was just defending them and doing what needed to be done. I mean, in a way, that means that Luke is to blame for Thalia being a tree yeah. for however long that was. Yeah. So I'd be pretty pissed if I were her, too. Yeah, that was a big reveal from Thalia to yeah. say that Luke was trying to pick fights all along the way. Yeah. It seems like their whole situation was entirely avoidable. Yeah. Thalia says that Annabeth only knew that Luke's parents made him sad, didn't understand the more complicated elements of it, and Annabeth was very defensive in protecting him, and Thalia says that she still is defensive of him, and she just wants to make sure that Percy doesn't fall into the same trap. Quote, Luke has given himself to Kronos now. We can't afford to be soft on him. 
voice of reason. I yep. love it. I really love it, especially given what Percy just saw. Mm -hmm. Percy looks out onto the city and realizes that all of what's happening is because of Luke's bad choices. Percy tells Thalia that she's right. She pats his shoulder and says that she's going to check on the hunters and get some rest before night. She tells Percy that he ought to do the same. And I'm thinking, mm, more dreams? And then yeah. Percy says, the last thing I need is more dreams. <laughs> Thalia sympathizes, and that makes Percy wonder what she's been seeing in her dreams. It makes me wonder, too, because I thought it was just demigods that had them. And now that she was, I mean, she's an immortal right. demigod and still having dreams, mm -hmm. I guess. It's an interesting question. Right. I think she still is a demigod. She's just a demigod with immortality. Yeah. I don't think that necessarily changes her nature. But I would have assumed it did. I would have assumed she would be done with the dreams. Mm, okay. Well, but we'll just have to wait it for... It seems not. We'll just have to wait for Uncle Rick's cash grab that <laughs> authors are doing now where they're like, what if I rewrote the Twilight book, but now it's Edward this time? <laughs> that sucks. I hate that so much. Just write a different book. Come on. Yeah, so but I still see. read it. So I know, but that's the point. <laughs> that's why it sucks. You gave Stephanie Meyer money that she didn't earn. I've already written this book. Let me just change all the I to she and rechange all the sense. Uh, just mm, don't like it. I don't like it. Write a prequel, write a sequel, write a spinoff. Don't just be like the same book, but the other person. And then what also doesn't make sense is I saw you buy this book. It's like five times longer than the first one. What's Edward doing? He's got more thoughts. Oh, He's got yeah. like, you know, an eternal mind. Oh, she so. smelled so good. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> the thing was, that was the book that half of it was leaked online as a PDF. Mm -hmm. And I was of the same vein as you. I was like, I'm not reading a stupid book that is the same book, but told from another perspective. Then it was leaked online. And I was like, I'll, I'll read the leaked version, but it was only half of it. Yeah, because it she leaked in. it because pre-sale orders weren't good. Yeah. You yeah. fell in. I did. And sinker. But it was good. Uh, I, I liked the book. So. Uh. <laughs> she won. Yeah, so did I. So... <laughs> Anyway, Percy Jack. <laughs> Narrator Percy then explains to us, the reader, that for demigods, dreams become more intense and more frequent as their surrounding circumstances become more dire. And this makes sense given the previous four and a half books. <laughs> Thalia says that Percy should get some sleep regardless because it's going to be a long night and it might be their last night ever, so maybe get some rest beforehand. Percy begrudgingly recognizes that she is correct and then hands her Pandora's jar. He asks her to lock it in the hotel vault, citing that he's, quote, allergic to pithos. <laughs> now, when he says the hotel vault, did he just mean, like, a safe inside of a room? I think so, Okay, yes. calling it a vault was strange. I was like, is there, like, a big <laughs> bank vault in the hotel? How does he know the combination? <laughs> I think he means, like, a... A little boop, 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 boop. A little booper, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. I've just never called that a vault. I always call it a safe. Yeah, same. Okay. Hey, it's Mike from the future. I normally don't do this, but in retrospect, them putting it in the actual hotel vault makes way more sense. And I only realized this because of Sherry's key insight that she sent over to me via audio with the edit for this week's episode. I'm just not realizing how large this vase is because I've always pictured it as like a mason jar. I must have read it as like three by five inches as a child, but three feet by five feet is like almost the size of a twin bed. So yeah, an individual room safe would be way too small. They had to have used the official hotel safe. So my question from before stands, how did they get the combination to the hotel safe? Anyway, here's the rest of the episode. Thalia smiles and agrees that this is a good plan. 
Percy finds a bed, goes to sleep, and of course, it's dream time. Percy sees Poseidon's palace. The enemy army is approaching. The fortress walls are no more. The temple that was used as the headquarters is on fire, and Percy can see into the armory where Tyson, who he does just call straight up my brother, and I always love that, super adorable, that he doesn't qualify as half-brother or anything like that. Just Tyson's his brother. Love it. Tyson is eating lunch with the other Cyclopes. Apparently, they're on a lunch break. Good working conditions that even in war, (laughs) they have a lunch break. The Cyclopes (laughs) Union, they're doing it right. I like it. They are eating from a jar of Skippy Extra Chunky Peanut Butter. Very happy to know that Tyson is a fellow Chunky fan, Mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. a uh, smooth guy. I'm a Chunky fan. (laughs) And Percy doesn't even want to think about how it tastes underwater, which I think is, yep, mm -hmm, correct. We won't dwell on it. Extra salty peanut butter. (laughs) Oh, right. I didn't even think about the the salt element. (laughs) The outer wall of the armory collapses and in falls a Cyclops warrior who Tyson tries to heal, but it's already too late. This guy fades into sea silt. Enemy giants are ready to pour in through the busted wall. So Tyson grabs the fallen warrior's club and yells for Poseidon to his brethren. But since he has a mouthful of peanut butter, Percy says it sounds more like Pupitbun. And then the Cyclopes grab hammers and chisels and yell, peanut butter, (laughs) and follow Tyson into battle. And I love Uncle Rick's dedication to recognizing, okay, readers have not laughed in a little bit. Time for a joke. And it's good. This is great and much needed, given that we've had some pretty intense stuff going on for the past couple of chapters. Mm The scene then shifts to Ethan Nakamura, your favorite, at the enemy camp. And it spooks Percy because the army is large and they are back at Auntie M's Garden Gnome Emporium. So we've come full circle Mm -hmm. and we're also back in New Jersey, my home state. Let's go! (laughs) It is abandoned. The statues are broken and vandalized. Grover's uncle is missing an arm from his statue, which just ruins my hopes for maybe he can still be saved and unstatuized. Uh, He might be missing an arm if they do. (laughs) Part of the roof is caved in and there's a big condemned sign on the door. There's loads of enemies camping around the building, mostly monsters, but there are some humans and there are some demigods as well. They have a purple and black banner, the dedication to the arts and crafts by Kronos' army. They always have a banner. Who's making the banners? I need to know. They've got the banner as well as two guardian Hyperboreans. And I do want to know about the Hyperboreans mm-hmm. now that they've come up more than just the one reference. Got to talk to Dr. Moy and see what's going on with them. Ethan is beckoned inside by Prometheus, who says that the master wants to speak with him. And inside, Kronos sits atop a golden throne and gives a crooked smile when he sees Ethan Nakamura approach. He asks him what he thought of the diplomatic mission he was just sent on. And Ethan says that Prometheus is probably the better person to ask. Cronus says, but I asked you, not Prometheus. Ethan says that he doesn't think Percy's ever going to surrender. And Cronus asks if there's anything else. Ethan stammers, but says no. Cronus asks why he looks so nervous then. And Ethan says it's because this place used to be Medusa's lair. And mm-hmm. it's just creepy vibes. Can't blame him. Then Kronos assures him that Medusa hasn't reformed yet, so he needn't worry. And then I realized, oh, right, the Minotaur reformed, and he was from the beginning of book one. As things go on, are we going to have to re-worry about Medusa and Mm -hmm. Krusty and everybody else who's gone away? But she hasn't reformed yet, so I guess that means the Minotaur is stronger than Medusa? Because I always thought it was like based on the strength of the monster, they might reform quicker. 
but she is not back yet, according to Kronos. Hmm. I always thought that it was just randomized. Okay. Based on how, like, certainly you're killed was one thing. Mm. That, like, how mortal the wound was that killed you is okay. my thought. I always imagined it was random. I thought they mentioned something about more powerful ones coming back more quickly. But, mm. yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean, like, Minotaur ranked higher than Medusa just because he came back a little bit sooner. Who's to say? Maybe it is the way they were defeated because all Percy did was, like, break his horn off. And that didn't seem like super intense. Yeah. So I mean, what? didn't he like also stab? Him? Oh yeah, but <laughs> details, details, yeah, details. Yeah. <laughs> Cronus says that there are stronger monsters in the room, and then Cronus freezes a Lystragonian mid fry bite. Glad that the fryers are still operating. <laughs> And then Cronus wonders why someone would turn enemies into stone in favor of just freezing time itself. And my thought was, that's not her magical power? Yeah. Like, yes, Cronus, you are the lord of time, so you can do it. But Medusa turns people to stone. Kind of her thing. Right. She can't just, yeah, just the wild criticism from he, him. He just has to prove that he's the scariest one in the room. I know. <laughs> he sucks so much. I know. He asks Ethan what happened the night prior on the Williamsburg Bridge. Ethan says he doesn't know. Cronus says, yeah, you do, citing that when he attacked Percy, the girl jumped in the way, and there was something off about that. Ethan says that she wanted to save him. Cronus reminds Ethan that Percy's invulnerable, so why would she do that? And Ethan says he cannot explain it. He wonders, maybe Annabeth forgot. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like an instinct thing. Cronus thinks that's a bunch of baloney and asks Ethan where he was aiming. And in the previous episode, Eric and I were wondering, <laughs> did Kronos mean the wound or Annabeth when he just said interesting when he saw that thing all mm. go down? And I was more team, Kronos is picking up where the wound might be. Eric was more team, he thinks Annabeth is the real wound. He, she's the real soft spot. Oh, like I can get to him, okay. to, which I, honestly, they both could be correct. Yeah. But at least in this instance, he's talking about trying to find the invulnerability spot on yeah. his body. So mm -hmm. I at least get the one zero lead for now. <laughs> Ethan tries to recall, but cannot remember, mm -hmm. saying that it all happened so fast and he doesn't think that he was aiming for a particular spot. He didn't have something in mind when he was thrusting out with his sword. Mm -hmm. Cronus says, I see. If your memory improves, I will expect. And then he winces and the giant in the corner unfreezes. So very intriguing. Ethan asks if Cronus is okay, and then Cronus just lets out I in a weak voice. But Percy picks up that this voice is Luke's voice, not Cronus's voice. Mm -hmm. But then Cronus regains his Cronus form and says that this was nothing beyond a minor discomfort. Ethan guesses that Luke is still fighting him. Cronus says, no, that's nonsense. He's merely adjusting to the limits of this new form. And he assures Ethan that he has squashed Luke's soul. Mm -hmm. I am intrigued. This had me thinking because they're casting people for season one right now. Mm -hmm. Who is Luke? Oh, this they already have him cast. Okay, I don't, I. It's some kid. Right, but this is. I don't know kid actors. Yeah. He looks like he could be brooding. It's like, he, I saw the picture, I'm like, yeah, that could be Luke. It's some kid, but at some point, he's going to have to act as himself mm -hmm. acting as somebody else. Right. Which is a very interesting piece of acting, and I was, wondering if they would do a voiceover mm. for somebody else's voice being Kronos or if they would do his voice. But I, I, I think, I'm intrigued. I think they will do someone else's voice because at least in book one, mm -hmm. Kronos is separate from Luke and Kronos's voice is like a separate thing. Yeah, but when he's using Luke's body, he's using his 
vocal cords. So would it be different? No, because Percy says it sounds like Kronos. At mm, least when he's okay. been describing this, it's like, this is Kronos's voice, this is Luke's voice. At the very least, they might do one of those things where it's like two voices at the same time, mm -hmm. and then one is deep and one is Luke, and then mm. Luke's solo. Like, they might do something like that with yeah. like a double-speaky kind of thing. Yeah. But I think they'll probably have someone cast as Kronos and then go on. Right. Either way, like in like 10 years, there's some intense acting for this kid. Too. Right. It's an interesting <laughs> casting thing to be like, all right, you're going to be like kind of important, but not around that much in this one. But we promise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things are going to get really good for you as things go on. Yeah. It's like when you sign a contract in the NBA and it like gets more money as the years go on. It's like this first year might not look too impressive, but four years from now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ethan basically gives Kronos a, mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> Kronos then calls over a Dracaena. He identifies as Queen Cess. Gotta ask Dr. Moy if that's a thing or just a PJ original. Mm -hmm. And asks her if their little surprise is ready to be unleashed. She confirms Kronos is happy and then tells her to instruct Hyperion, who I had guessed was going to show up at some point because the Golden Titan remained unnamed and unnamed, but then had conversations with Red in mm -hmm. the mythology mm -hmm. episode about Hyperion, son, made sense. He tells her to instruct Hyperion to move the main force into Central Park. He believes the demigods will be in such disarray that they will not be able to defend themselves. And this reeks of Power Rangers villain strategy, <laughs> where they always attack the one city where the Power Rangers are. They're the hall. What if we attack the one place our rivals are located, Angel Grove? Like, what if you went anywhere else? <laughs> but this is just poor form. You know that they're on the Plaza Hotel. Why don't you just go straight to the Empire State Building? It just seems so obvious. They are watching all the other entrances, though. Yeah, but I don't think they ever say, like, where the forces come from. They're just like, ah, they're in Central Park. So I don't mm -hmm. know. It seems like they came from the north, like, mm -hmm. because they were coming, like, through Harlem. Why don't they just keep going south? The Empire State Building's <laughs> not that far away from <laughs> Central Park. I don't get why they are hell-bent on destroying it. But then later in the chapter, Percy wonders if it's all a distraction. So maybe it is all a distraction. Mm -hmm. We'll have to see. Mm -hmm. But at least at this moment, I was thinking, Kronos is not good at his job. <laughs> He sends Ethan off to improve his memory and says that they'll chat again after Manhattan has fallen. The dream then shifts to the big house, but it's in the past because Percy's... So, oh, okay. One thing about sure. Ethan and yeah. why I hate him so uh, I much. mean, there's many reasons. There's so many reasons. Originally, when he was introduced, my thought was he's the golem of this story. Okay. He's somebody who okay. was shown mercy at some point and then just destroys everything and just kind of like ignores that but I think that's being too kind to Ethan. I think Ethan's the Grima Wormtongue of this story. <laughs> he just like, he turns and then he sucks so much. And every time somebody does the slimiest, schemiest thing, it's always him. And I'm just so angry about it. Yeah, there's one potential saving grace that I'll get into later. One potential where it's not that it's gonna make him good, but it's just gonna make him not the worst. <laughs> the bar is the floor, but we'll, we'll see. I agree, not a big Ethan guy. The dream shifts to the big house in the past. Percy says that he can tell because everybody has early 90s hairstyles, which he thinks would be good for keeping monsters at bay. <laughs> he sees Chiron talking to Hermes and a woman with a baby. And I'm wondering at this point, like, oh, is this the whole like travel back in time, like Terminator? Like, Percy, kill the baby. Then Luke can't do it. <laughs> 
Chiron tells the woman it's an honor to have her here as it's been a long time since a mortal was allowed to enter Camp Half-Blood. Hermes tells Chiron not to encourage her and then tells May that she can't do this. It's the thing that'll lead to her eyes was my guess and yeah, not a hard one to make. I guessed that it was gonna be some sort of prophetic vision thing forgetting the major plot point that's about to be discussed. Narrator Percy again says, with a shock, I realized I was seeing May Castellan. And this is the second time he's done this recently where in the previous dream, it was very clearly Hades. And he was like, that's Hades. And now in this time, he's like, that's May. Like Hermes, a baby, the 90s, do some quick math, Percy. <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard. She probably also looks like May, but a little younger. <laughs> he's surprised and realizes that it's May. But Percy's bigger point is that she just looks completely different, so full of life, so full of joy. That's why he didn't recognize mm -hmm. her. She tells Hermes not to worry because they need an oracle. And I was then just oh, like, ah, it all came together. Mm -hmm. She cites that their old oracle has been dead for 20 years and Chiron says it's been longer than 20 years. Hermes is frustrated, saying that he didn't tell May the story so that she would apply for this position. And he's worried because it's dangerous. And he asks Chiron to tell her that, and then he does. I think this is a really cool plot twist. I didn't see mm -hmm. this coming. I think this is a cool way for the origin to happen. Yeah. So I enjoyed this. I think yes. it's really good. Now, Chiron says that he has forbidden anyone from even trying because they're unsure of what exactly is going on, but it just seems like humanity has lost the ability to host the Oracle. May says that they've been through this and she knows that she can do it. She pleads with Hermes that this is her choice to do good. She says she's been given the gift of sight for a reason. And I've got a big home run prediction to make. Rachel is there, gonna become the new Oracle. Don't mm. react, make no faces, no one, nothing. I just feel like we've got someone who is given the gift of sight and has some sort of something power. And we have this new problem where it's like, oh, humanity can't do it, blah, blah, blah. And the other thing we have is we need something to get Rachel Elizabeth there out of the way so that Percy ends up with Annabeth, because... <laughs> Currently, Rachel is, but there is too good. Like, there's got to be something to make her not a compatible person for him. She's either got to be a jerk, she's got to die, she's got to become a hunter, which, hey, door's still open, or she's got to become the Oracle. And I'm thinking that that's it. So, I don't know. I just, it seems like it's possible. And I'm just going to keep going and not look at your face. Yeah, well, I'm working really hard. I'm, I'm proud of you. Nothing. I can tell with my peripheral vision, but <laughs> I'm not going to look. Percy wants to yell out to May and tell her to stop because he knows what's about to happen, but he cannot move or speak. Hermes is downtrodden, saying she could not marry if she became the Oracle, and she would not be able to see him anymore. May touches his arm and says that she cannot have him forever since he's immortal, and he will eventually move on. Pretty mature of May here. Yeah. I think that that's a good approach. Pretty immature of Hermes. He didn't have to bring her here. He didn't have to show her where to go. Yeah. Like... Yeah, you're you're still an immortal god. You could just say no. Like maybe it's part of the not interfering thing. Maybe she wanted to do it and he didn't want to force her not to. Maybe. Just from like, you know, you're an adult, you can make your own choices kind of thing, as opposed to being like, I forbid you from doing this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, he probably argued with her a lot. And I think Percy at one point says, like, the conversation feels like one they've had before. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is at least something there, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, there, there could have been some other stuff going on. Yeah. But I also find it strange that Hermes goes like, oh, I wouldn't be able to marry you. You weren't going to marry her. <laughs> Come on. You are not going to do this. I think he said you wouldn't be able to marry anybody. Oh, like, like she wouldn't be else. able to get married to somebody. I thought he was like, I might propose. <laughs> <laughs> you won't. 
Hermes starts to push back against this notion, but May insists that he knows it's true and asks that he not try to spare her feelings. She says that it's okay because they have a wonderful child and she can still raise him as the Oracle. She checks with Chiron to make sure that that's true. Mm -hmm. Chiron confirms, but he does warn that he does not know how it will affect the spirit of the Oracle. The fact that she has a kid. This is the first time that a mother has tried to take on the spirit. He's not sure if the spirit will take, but May is confident that it will. She kisses Luke, hands him over to Hermes, says that she'll be right back, smiles, and climbs the stairs. Eventually, a green glow fills the house. The campers stop and stare. A cold wind rushes through the camp. Hermes cries, no, no, and hands over Luke to Chiron so that he can run into the house. And then Percy hears a loud scream from May, and the dream ends. Percy wakes with a jolt and bangs his head on Annabeth's shield. Apparently she was just about to wake him up and her shield was right by his head. Probably scarier for Annabeth just yeah. to be like, oh, let me wake up Percy. And then he's just like, bah! <laughs> Donk! Uh! It all now makes sense to Percy. May wanted to become the new Oracle, but neither she nor Chiron nor Hermes knew about Hades' curse and the curse is what prevented it from working and put her in this state with the glowing green eyes and having her fits. Pretty horrible move from Hades to not inform them, too. Yeah, yeah. I guess he didn't do it because they would chastise him for being really petty, and I guess it is his way of getting back at Zeus. But again, the gods don't really care that much about mortals right. having bad situations along the way if they can get back at their relatives. So I think it's just Hades, again, not really caring. Yeah, I mean, or just like enjoying the chaos that it creates because mm. I'm sure that Dionysus has told the other gods like hey our oracle is like a corpse now and he didn't say anything about that so I think he did it intentionally he doesn't want people to know oh yes I agree oh, yeah, I think yeah. Hades for sure doesn't want people to know yeah. because that's the only way he can get back at them it's like I'll do it and they'll have this problem and then it's ha 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 gotcha oh there's some humans dying along the way or at least having really bad times well, not my problem yeah. Yeah. Maybe you should have killed my wife <laughs> <laughs> which was also bad let me you know I'm not trying to yeah but also not his wife either oh yeah right. yeah. yeah my, I mean, my baby mistress. mama yeah, yeah. I don't know like, <laughs> Annabeth asks Percy what's wrong. Percy lies and says nothing and then asks why she's clad in armor when she's supposed to be resting. She says she's fine. She is not fine. She says the nectar and the ambrosia brought her back to life and she's good to go. Percy says that she cannot join the fight. She offers him her good arm, her other arm is barely moving, and then helps him up. The sky outside is purple and red, so it's sunset. Annabeth says that they'll need everybody that they can get, and she's about to tell Percy about the army in Central Park, but Percy knows because of the dream. Mm -hmm. He tells her about his dreams, except for the May stuff, because it's too disturbing to discuss. I feel like it might be helpful, though, for Annabeth, who's particularly not necessarily seeing the light with Luke. Like, I get he doesn't want to say it, and maybe now's not the right time. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It I just feels it like... There could have been a better reason besides like, ooh, it wasn't fun and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't know if it would make a difference on their current strategy, though. He does make a good call right. to not tell her that he saw Luke fighting yes. Kronos. Yes. Because that'll make her more sympathetic. And Correct. I think this might have made her more sympathetic. Yeah. Maybe there will be a point where he tells her about it and mm -hmm. it's before something more important. Because, yeah, it's not necessarily going to affect the battle. So mm -hmm. as long as Percy tells her before a moment where it would be more useful, then I'll be okay. So I'm just gonna like put it on pause, but if Percy goofs, I'm gonna be on him. <laughs> Percy also, as you said, leaves out the part where Ethan thinks that Luke might be fighting off Cronus because he doesn't want to give her hope. I support this decision. <laughs> 
She asks if he thinks Ethan knows about the weak spot. Percy isn't sure, but he worries about the possibility of him finding out and telling Kronos. Annabeth says they can't let him. And I wonder if Ethan does know, but he's kind of holding onto it because he's starting to doubt his choices. Like maybe he's getting to the point where he's like, I don't know with Kronos. Like he does know. And maybe that's the thing that can make Ethan not the absolute worst. Still bad. Still bad. Not going to be like, Ethan's a good guy for not telling Kronos the one thing. No. <laughs> but it would at least just make him like slightly above complete trash. Mm-hmm. Percy says he'll hit Ethan on the head harder next time. Great. (laughs) And then he asks Annabeth if she has any idea what Kronos meant by the surprise. And I also have no idea what the surprise could be. At first, I just thought the surprise was the Hyperion thing. But because they've already discussed the army coming through, I'm thinking, all right, it's got to be something else. I don't know what it is. I'm now thinking it's flying pigs. Oh. I don't remember. Who's to say? They've got to come in at some point. Flying pigs doesn't feel like a Cronus Army vibe unless it was like, they're pigs, but they have a hundred snakes uh, for a tail, and they're all curly. Yeah. She says that she doesn't know what the surprise could be, but she does say that she hates surprises. Percy says he doesn't like them either. Annabeth asks, are you going to try to convince me not to join? And he says no, because she would just beat him up. She laughs, which Percy loves to hear. He grabs Riptide, and they go off to rally the troops, literally. They meet up with Thalia and the head counselors at the reservoir in Central Park. That's the big lake thing where we took our engagement photos? Is that what the reservoir is? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if they're talking about something farther north. Okay. Or if they're talking about that lake. I think it's that lake. Because they're just like where the plaza is and they didn't travel very far and all the other lakes are much more north. Yeah. This has been Central Park Corner with Mike and Kelly. (laughs) Thalia relays info from one of her scouts. The enemy has crossed the Harlem River and apparently there are a lot of people in this army. (laughs) Percy says that they'll hold them and he asks Grover if he and his team are ready. And Grover says, they're ready as they'll ever be. And he thinks that if there is one spot where the nature spirits can help, it's here in Central Park. And this is what I'm talking about. Cronus is a fool for coming here because they should know one of the things. There's only 40 demigods and then Grover and his nature friends. Maybe you're in a city where there's just like one huge rectangle of nature. Go anywhere else, such as the Empire State Building. (laughs) Thinking from a strategy perspective though, if they have more people, they wouldn't want to funnel them into a narrow street, a narrow avenue to have to come down because then you might actually be able to defend that with fewer people. Yeah, but what if they just like surrounded the Empire State Building just like like all around? Just like every avenue. They yeah. Have yeah, 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 sure. I don't know what, the good thing Kronos isn't listening. Yeah, his, his strategists are all making the, uh, the arts and crafts. Yeah, things. right, they're like, oh, where, oh, ooh, yeah, the stitching, yeah. <laughs> Then a voice says, yes, we will, in response to Grover thinking that they're going to help him out. And it's surprisingly Linnaeus, not Selenus, so not the biggest shocker of the people from the Council of Cloven Elders, but still a surprise. He takes slight offense to Percy being so shocked, and he says that he is a leader of the council, and Percy tasked him with finding Grover. He then takes credit for finding Grover and says that he won't let an outcast lead the satyrs without his help. So Linnaeus letting us know he still sucks. (laughs) Grover mimes gagging behind his back, which is great. Love the improv work from Grover. But then they just let Linnaeus go on thinking that he's a hero. You know what? He's on our side. Let's not ruin his vibe. An extra body, sure. You know what this makes me think of? Mm -hmm. When I'm doing a puzzle 
Mm-hmm. And you come in, and I've got like 10 pieces left, and you're like, oh, I'll help you now. And then you start putting them in. Like, I don't then amazing. say, I completed the puzzle. You're like, but... look at me, I'm so amazing. <laughs> I find puzzles boring. I find problem solving enjoyable. <laughs> it's a little easier at the end. Percy keeps a straight face to avoid being angry or laughing at him, which I can sympathize with as a very expressive face boy. And Percy just goes, um... Yeah. <laughs> he tells Grover that he won't be alone, as Annabeth and the Athena cabin will make their stand. And I'm wondering, is this the stand? Because Annabeth is supposed to make a stand, mm-hmm. so I'm very worried about her stand and Percy's choice. Ah. Percy says that they will make their stand here, while Percy and Thalia go off to fight the approaching army. Percy looks at the rest of the counselors and says that they have a task that is just as essential, guarding the other entrances into Manhattan. They gotta be ready to counter a sneak attack from Kronos if this large army is just a distraction. I think that's very smart, it's very likely, so it's good, and Percy wasn't just hyping him up to be like, no, 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 you guys have an important job too. Like, I think it is, no joke, a very important thing to do, and it makes sense. Send the invincible boy and the archers to go take care of the army, everybody else can guard it. I think it totally makes sense. Percy checks with everyone to confirm that each cabin has a bridge or a tunnel covered, and then he wishes them all good luck, and then the battle is about to begin. But there is not a good stopping point for quite some time, so that is going to be where we close out this portion of the episode and also this portion of the live show. But for now, let's all, everyone here, say goodbye to the podcast people as they go into the Cash Olympian, and we will talk about intermission, but let's all say goodbye to the podcast people. Hello and welcome to the Cash Olympian Utah edition. Ooh, flipping the script a bit. Been a minute since I've been on the road for one of these, but I am visiting some family and I'm here nonetheless to give you updates about the podcast. Now, one clarification of something that Kelly and I talked about, the reservoir in Central Park is actually the more northern body of water that Kelly had thought of, not the one that I was thinking of. That one is called the lake. The reservoir is a little more north. It's about a 35-minute walk north from the plaza, so that is a decent trek for them to make, but not ridiculous, but still a little bit far. Anyway, let's talk about some updates now. This past Friday, the tickets for the Texas run of TNO shows did go live. We're going to the Big Four. We're going to Dallas on the 13th. We're going to Austin on the 15th. We're going to San Antonio on the 17th. And we're going to Houston on the 19th, all in December. If you want to get tickets right now, you can do so at thenewestolympian.com slash live. That's also where you can get tickets for our upcoming show in Vienna, Virginia, as well as our shows in Doylestown, a.k.a. Philadelphia and New York City. And a reminder to follow us on social media at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook because new merch is coming out pretty soon and I will post about it there once it's live and orders are available. The Pro Pigeon podcast pins and some other stickers should be live and then there will be some stuff coming later down the road such as the Camp Regular Person shirts and the TNO beads a la Camp Half-Blood necklaces. That's right, we're making those beads. Might be a little bit later down the road, but if you're a patron, you already knew this because you helped me pick the designs. That's right, patron perk. Sometimes if I'm stuck between designs and stuff for merch, I will turn it over to the patrons. And that was the case this time around for the beads. So thank you to all the folks that voted in the polls and helped me out. If you want to get in the mix and help out with things with production of the show, you should join the Patreon. And speaking of the Patreon, let's thank 50 of the folks who have joined recently. Again, still working through that wonderful, wonderful backlog that we have. I don't thank more than 50 people in a mid-roll break because it'll take too long. But shout out to this next group of 50. Shout out to our newest mega god tier patron, Hope. Shout out to our newest Super God to your patrons, Monkey King 93, 
Kame Ayidia, and Casey. Shout out to our newest God tier patrons Caddy Sterren, Red Hair Jack, Sarah Barra, Hannah Petersheim, Hannah Murr, Styx, Maddie, and James Irwin. And shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons Molly, Adriana Ortega, Gabrielle Harvey, Natalie, Sarah Troisi, Willow B. Huddleston, Christina Mendez, Christian Villanueva, Sebastian Milan, Alina, Three Frogs in a Trenchcoat, Our Lord and Savior Perseus Jackson, Soft Lightning, Margretha, Emily Rockmalevich, Cassidy Morin, Megan Thornton, Silence King, Brandon, Katie Rapp, Spell, Jay Shuffles, Miss T, Riley J, Nathan Gibbons, Fifi13, Julius Jackson, Alyssa Bender, Sagan Meow, Virginia Gonzalez, Paige Lauren, Isabella Casas, Percy Jackson's Bestie, Sydney Aldretti, Thomas, Erica Allender, Emily Lewis, and Haley Lomsma and a name correction for Johanna Matea Engelson. Thank you all so much for your support. Zeus seems like the air travel guy, at least in the Percy Jackson books, so may Zeus bless you that whenever you are able to maybe do the thing where you take a later flight and you get a voucher and all that kind of stuff, that it all works out perfectly. If you're all caught up on the news Olympian and you're looking for some new content from me, there's a whole bunch of other stuff I do. Obviously, I make all my other podcasts, but I also do a Dungeons and Dragons stream with some other podcasters every other Wednesday on Twitch. We do it at 2 p.m. Eastern. It's called 22 Midnight, so 2-0-T-O Midnight, and it's me and some other podcasters racing against the clock to save the world. It is fun. It is goofy. You don't have to watch it live. We have replays up on our YouTube page, and it's just a good time. Gabrielle Urbina, our game master, is crafting a wonderful story, and me, Emma Sherjarko, and Beth Ayer are having a wonderful time playing in Gabrielle's world. You can check it out on twitch.tv slash 20 to midnight, or by going to our website, 22midnight.com, 20to-midnight.com. And before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Germany, don't be surprised if you hear an ad talking about how you kicked America's butt in the FIBA World Cup. Hats off to you, Germany. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of the News Olympian. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. We've got a little bit of time here to do some Q&A before we got to get out of here. So let's do some questions. There were some really fun ones. There were a lot of really fun ones, but I cannot answer all of them. But let's do it. Do you okay. want to ask my question first? Or yeah, yeah. Let's do you do, want okay. to answer this? Let's, yes. Because I asked Kelly this question had a good in the Q&A said, question. So let's start it off. Uh, we'll do our first question. Uh, Kelly, uh, I believe you have a question. Yeah. What's the question? So in Percy Jackson right now, we know that there is a spy somewhere in camp. Who do you think? The spy is. We're at the point where I feel like my initial guess of Juniper is incorrect. <laughs> Don't have high hopes for that. The only thing I can think of at this point is that it's going to be, because there haven't really been like hints, or at least if there are, I've like completely missed them. So I don't know that there's going to be any sort of person there. It, either that or I'm just being like really dense. Because of that, I feel like it's going to be someone that we know well enough. So I don't think it would be like the people who just came into book five, like Jake Mason. Like, I don't think it's going to be that level of person or Michael Yu. Like, I don't think it's going to be people we just met. So I think it's got to be someone that we have known before. Clarice feels too easy because of the, like, her being grumpy thing. And I think that's just like a vessel of giving Selena something cool to do. Selena seems too cool for it to be her. I don't think it's Annabeth, though if it was... 
don't think it's her. Don't think it's Grover, obviously. So the only thing I can think of is that it would be one of the stoles, which I would think is kind of like, because they're Hermes cabin people and that feels like too easy. I don't know which one between the two because like, honestly, they feel kind of like Fred and George Weasley where it's just kind of like, yeah, they're the same. So I don't know if I had to guess, if I got to pick, I feel like Travis was more down to steal stuff. So I guess I'll go with <laughs> Travis, but that would just be my thought. It's like, it's gotta be like that tier of person. I've not picked up on any sort of clue. So I'm just gravitating towards like Hermes cabin, Hermes cabin feels like Travis. And then maybe there's some intrigue of like, <gasps> one of the twins is mean. So that would be my thought. Mm-hmm, cool, trapdoor mm-hmm. intact. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not spoilery, but you said that like when you were reading at this point oh, yeah. in time, you were wondering, could it have been Annabeth? Right, so at this point in time, and not saying if my guess was right or wrong, but when I was reading, it got to the point where Annabeth asks Percy where the spot is. Yeah. And he goes, I'm not supposed to tell anybody this, but if I can't trust her, who can I trust? Yeah. And that, to me... At that point, right or wrong, that was like, oh my gosh, it's Annabeth. So at this point where we were, that's what I was thinking. Right or wrong, true or false, no emotion on my face. Yeah, okay. No, I think it would be good. I just don't think it's going to be the thing because I know she's in the sequel series. Hmm. And I think in a positive way. But if she became like the villain of the sequel, <laughs> that'd be really cool. That'd be super duper duper cool. All right, so let's get into some other mm-hmm. Q&A questions. This one comes from Gabby. Gabby says, hi, Megan Kelly. Huge fan of your work. Although rarely see you talking about the Raptors on horse. Classic Raptors fan. <laughs> I've never really run into this issue, but there's an ESPN podcast I listen to by Zach Lowe. It's called The Low Post. And he always will just be like, ah, Toronto fans always get so mad if I don't talk about Toronto. <laughs> so now I feel kinship with Zach Lowe. The Raptors are great. You've just been like good and not like dramatic the past couple of years. And horse, we talk about like the drama. So I guess you're doing okay if we're not talking about you. You either got to be like really good or like really dramatic to find your way in a horse. And you just kind of be like in the middle, but you might become more dramatic with this current off season. So like, don't worry. Anyway, here's Gabby's question. If Annabeth Chase were to lead the charge in creating a WNBA team in Toronto, what would be the most creative and fitting name for the team and what mascot would she choose? Now, I like this question a lot. I love the WNBA. They have really cool team names. You feel like you already have an answer? Yeah. What do you got? They're the wise girls. Ah, (laughs) that's similar to what I was going to say. What would their logo be? Like an owl, you're thinking? Yeah. That would be my thought as well. But I'm thinking there's a lot of teams in the WNBA, more so than the NBA, have the thing where like the team name is just like a concept. Hmm. Uh, Like in the NBA, usually teams like the Knicks, the Bulls, the Bucks. But then there are some teams like the Heat or the Magic. But in Hmm. the WNBA, you get a lot more teams. You have like the Storm or the dream or like singular thing. So I think she could have a team just called the wisdom mm. and then their logo would be an owl. That would be okay. not very Toronto-y necessarily, but yeah. if Annabeth's making the team, I feel like she's going to want to get the Athena pride in there. The so. architects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Frank Lloyd Wrights. Yeah. Or the architects and then their mascots, just like a big Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that would be it, but that's fun. Very good question. Uh, This one is from Josie. Josie says, hello, I'm Josie from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, a three and a half hour flight. Dedication, dedication. As PGO was written in Percy's point of view, if you could choose any other POV other than Percy, who would you choose? Funny that we talked about me being like, grumble, grumble, these books. (laughs) So if we got to have the story from someone else's point of view other than Percy's, who would it be from? I would love to hear it from Tyson's point of view because he's just so sweet. 
Love that. Yeah. That would be my particular vote. Or um, Chiron's point of view could be interesting. Ooh, because he knows everything. He knows everything. Uh, That'd be really good with, like, him as the narrator. Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Mm -hmm. So then the follow-up question here, what would be your elevator pitch to get someone to read the books? (laughs) There's this cool podcast called The New (laughs) Salami. No, I feel like really just, like, the books, they're fun, they're enjoyable for all ages, Mm -hmm. and they are so well-paced that you will blow through them like they're nothing. Like, I would just say, it's it's fun storytelling, you learn some Greek mythology along the way, it's entertaining and educational, and just a good, fun story. Right, and they're very quick, short books, but there is an entire universe if you really like them. So you can get through just a little bit and be done or you can be really dedicated and keep going. Yeah, agreed, yeah. agreed. Okay, this one is from Eden. Hi, Megan Kelly, welcome to Toronto. My question, if you could cast a buddy cop movie with one Percy Jackson character and one Harry Potter character, <laughs> which two would you choose and why? So we've got to do a buddy cop with two characters, but one from each universe. Is buddy cop always like one person who knows what they're doing and one person who doesn't? Normally, but it doesn't have to be. Or is it be. two people who don't know what they're doing? You can, you can have everything. Like you could have two all-stars. You could have two people that have no idea what they're going on. You could have one of each. Hmm. I don't think I got to limit you to any particular rules. Yeah. But we're just getting two characters and then they're doing some sort of thing. My, my first thought was Percy and Harry. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. Just like. <laughs> think that they're doing the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time, but they've lost their really helpful friends. And so they get into a lot of messes. I want to see one with Grover and Luna, where Ooh. depending on the universe, we have like the nature person who knows some like mythical creatures and the person who like is convinced that all the <laughs> wacky mythical creatures actually exist. And either like way, I think it would be super fun. Yes. So that would be yes. that would be my pick. This one is from Caitlin, the subject line, all caps, how about Toronto pigeons? <laughs> we did see some on the we way here. They look really cool. They had very interesting patterns mm-hmm. in their feathers. Yeah. Hello, Mike and Kelly. Which of the PJO slash Harry Potter characters would be the most fun to have as guests on Meddling Adults? And what kinds mm. of charities would they choose to represent? So we got to get HP or PJO people on Meddling Adults and who would be the most fun and what kind of charities would they support? I could see, I mean, Annabeth and Hermione both like very bookish and mm-hmm. very, you know, thoughtful. I could see them both doing some sort of charity about like, you know, like, get more women in STEM or, you know, stuff like that, like those kind of educational Mm -hmm. charities. I think they'd be fun just because they would be like really precise with it. I also feel like Chiron would be really fun to have on because his whole thing is like being like ominous and little things like that. And especially for the Encyclopedia Brown episodes of Meddling Adults where like Mm. usually it's just like one little thing that Encyclopedia Brown picks up on. I could see him like really honing in Mm. on that. And then maybe he would support a charity that like does infrastructure for like ADA accessibility, like wheelchair ramps and stuff, Mm. since he's, you know, got that going on for him. Yeah. Or if you want it to be a real mess of an episode, Uh (laughs) the Stoles versus Fred and George. (laughs) Nobody's getting right answers, but everybody's having fun. And then I'd have to really make sure that the charities that they're supporting are not like shell companies (laughs) to like go into Zonko or go into Weezes or go into whatever the Stoles want. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right, so this is going to be the the final question, and I think it's great. The subject line was funny. The question's very funny. This is from Estelle and Erin. The email says, hi, Mike and Kelly. What type of pasta would you assign each of the main characters? (laughs) This was my dad's joke question, thought it was good. It is good. And then the subject line is, honestly, Toronto sucks. I'm sorry. 
feels rude, but I was enticed and opened the email. So, uh, what kind of pasta would you assign to each of the main characters? It's I, I know, mm. right? Uh, I would say my thought is the uh, Fusilli is like the spirally one. Mm-hmm. I feel like that one is going to be Tyson just because it's like super fun and adorable. And how can you not love like wiggly pasta? I was I was gonna say um, ravioli but it's filled with peanut butter. <laughs> oh, interesting, interesting. I would think that Chiron would be ravioli because you might not know what's on the inside. So it's very like, well, it's a mystery, but mm, oh, it's spinach yeah, and cheese. Like um, and then I feel like... Who's very like straight and to the point? Maybe um, Annabeth? Yeah, she, she's kind of no-nonsense-y. She could be penne, just oh. like... Yeah, yeah, like a yeah. very like... To the point. Yep. Boom. Yep. Yeah. And literally point. Yeah. I could see Grover being bow ties because bow, tie, bow ties, it's like, it's fun and like kind of like a Grovery vibe, but also they are particularly good. They're always my choice if I'm doing a pesto based pasta because they like mm. hold on to the pesto well and pesto is green and that feels like nature. I was, I was going to say he was always dressing up in what he thought humans would wear, but don't <laughs> oh, wear. Yeah, yeah, and so he yeah. just wear a bow tie every day and be like, that's what humans do. I like it. And then maybe Percy is um, the shell pasta because of the ocean. That's good. That's way better than what I was going to say. Gonna, <laughs> I was going to be like spaghetti because he's the main character. <laughs> I like that way better. Shells is way better. What a good note to end on. Thank you all so much for coming out to the show. Oh, this was delightful. You are all wonderful. I would love to perform here forever, but I'm well past time and I don't want them to be mad at me. (laughs) So first, give a round of applause for Kelly for being an amazing guest for both acts. Give it up for yourselves for coming out. Again, none of this would be possible if there wasn't desire here. Glad I could finally do a show in Toronto. And give it up to everyone here that made the show happen from sound stuff to the bar, to all the folks that like I emailed to organize things, to the social media promotion they did, to the cool posters they made uh, that you can see in the bathrooms. Uh, everybody who did stuff to make the show, please give all of them a round of applause here at Adelaide Hall and MRG. They were lovely. We do have to get out of here because I have an episode of TNO to get up uh, and then we're flying back tomorrow. But you can still get merch at the merch table after the show if you wanted to get any of those other things. Kelly will be there. But to close things out, until the next time I come back to Toronto because obviously I got to come through here because this was a delight and we got to do some more stuff. Until I make my return to Toronto, I'll... Thanks so much for coming out, everybody! there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The New Stolympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to be a part of the show's community, you can find us on social media. We're at New Stolympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There's also a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash The New Stolympian. And then there's also the Discord that you get access to by joining any tier of the Patreon over at thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon. If you want to get some TNO merch, you can go to thenewstolympian.com slash merch. And if you want to support the show and as a thank you get access to a whole bunch of bonus content you can do that at thenewsolympia.com slash Patreon speaking of that Patreon let's give a shout out to our producer level patrons Kelsey Gillespie The Dance Team Nuggets Vicky Garcia Ellie Hoskovchova Veronica Bartova Haley Hastings Robin Garcia Frida Vickstrom Megan Moon Craig McRoberts Taylor Payne Giselle Salvador Peter Johnson The Twins Sabrina Balsiger Bony Pony Casey Williams Polly Burge Nikki Harris Tatiana Schmidt Sandra Rose Josh Sayre Josh Wilkie Abby Ryan Wise Girl Ashton Gabrielson Marco Redhouse Caden Max Sam Sam Reby, Riley Kiddas, Mary Kelly Audra Mrs. O'Leary Rodith Kalna Milo Kim Harlan Christ, Cece Reed's 23, 
Sandkoff, Julia Kendall, Emil Oskar, Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Sarah Neal, Ricky, John Drillsmo, Rila Matthews, Riley Draken, Luna Kadoon, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, Sky Captain and the Princess, King Bastion, One Damn Distraction coming up, Ethan Robinson, Ginger Spurs Boy, Joshua Aid, A Cup of Solace, Meg Roy, Lux, Neil, Will Buchanan, and Olivia Kranicki. If you want to support the show in a non-monetary way, simply talking about the show is so helpful. Word of mouth is huge. So you can tell someone that you know who loves Percy Jackson about the podcast, or you can talk to someone who's looking for an excuse to finally get into the Percy Jackson books about it, or someone who's maybe getting hyped for the TV show that's coming up and they want to understand what's going on. Or you could post about the show on social media, or you could leave us a reading and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All these things really do help. I'm very appreciative to everyone who has already done so and to anyone who will do so in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode and I hope you tune into our next episode where we will be joined by Johnny Frolicstein, not live in a live show sense, but live in a me and Johnny recorded it in the same room sense as we finish up chapter 14 and cover all of chapter 15. But until then, I'll pursue you later. Hey, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So I'm recording this one on the desk in the guest room of my in-laws, and it is a glass desk, and there is a little pencil case nearby. So I'm just going to make some noises around that. Here's just me kind of like tapping my fingers on the glass desk. There's also a drawer that I'll slide in and out. Ooh, a little squeaky. And then here's the pencil case. I'll open a compartment. And then here is a uh, a pen, I think that, nope, that looks like a, oh, I think it's like a laser pointer thing that you use if you're given a presentation. I'll try uh, clicking some buttons. Thank you for listening.